November 8th is International Human-Animal Bond Day. This week, we've got an expert all about the human-animal bond and what you as a veterinary practitioner and professional need to know this week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, it's not such a tough topic, but maybe there's a couple of really raw edges that we're going to touch on today, and that is the human-animal bond. And we're going to be speaking with the president-elect of the Human-Animal Bond Association, Dr. Patrick Flynn. He's going to talk about how this came about. How do we get an International Human-Animal Bond Day? What does that mean for veterinary professionals, and how can we be better stewards of the animal kingdom? But before we get into all of that, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward, and I am solo today because my co-host, Becky Mosser, RVT, has been deployed by the ASPCA. As many of you know, over the past five years, from time to time, Becky has to miss us and go and help animals in need, and that's where she is today. But I am going to be co-hosting, so to speak, with Dr. Patrick Flynn, who is a really interesting veterinarian. You know, he is the professional services vet over at Zoetis. He is really, he is, he's done a lot, guys. He has lived a life. And we're going to talk about some of that today. But more importantly, he is the president-elect of the Human Animal Bond Association, also known as HABA. Dr. Patrick Flynn, thank you for joining us on The Viewfinder. So good to be here, Dr. Ward. It's exciting. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, I can't wait to talk to you about this, but let's, first of all, where are you? Where are you calling us from? I am currently in Naples, Florida. In a what? Room. What? <laughs> How'd you get down there? Well, this is, this is what I do or what I used to do. It's actually glorious that I'm kind of back out in the field a little bit anyway. So I'm happy to to just look, look at a different uh, computer screen than I typically do. I'm just, I'm out in the world, so I'm a happy guy. Wow, well, Naples is a beautiful place to be this time of year in particular. Uh, and again, you work as a professional services veterinarian for Zoetis. Maybe tell the viewfinders briefly a little bit about what you do there and, and how you help vets. Yeah, so I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, before COVID, I spent a lot of time in the field and now a little bit more and more where I actually travel with salespeople. Uh, and I'm kind of a liaison between sales and veterinary medicine and help. Uh, sometimes I need to translate. Sometimes I need to coach that salesperson. And, and more often than not, I'm actually talking veterinarian to veterinarian about not only specific products, but actually broader disease states because we talk about so many things. Uh, and it's been fantastic. It's been uh, it's still very clinical. I don't uh, I don't miss primary practice uh all, all the time. Sometimes I do, but it is still wonderful to be in the clinic and be with veterinarians and technicians almost every day. So it's, it's really a great job. Yeah. And Patrick, you serve a really important purpose in our profession because as you mentioned, you're the liaison, the bridge between like, you know, what's happening in big industry and pharmaceutical research and so forth with the general practitioner. So I can't thank you enough because I think what you do is really valuable. But part of your value to our profession is you're now the president-elect of the Human Animal Bond Association. And again, for people that maybe miss that episode with Dr. Laird Goodman a while back. Maybe just briefly explain what is the Human Animal Bond Association? The Human Animal Bond Association is a group of people, and actually we're, in two years we're coming up on our 30th anniversary, so we've wow, been around for yeah. quite a bit. Yeah, that's the best kept secret of, of HABA. Uh, and uh, we are a group of basically like-minded people, although thankfully beautifully diverse group of people who all believe in the importance of our connection, not only with our pets, but with the greater uh, natural world. 
and uh, are willing to kind of dig in and uh, and experience and, and talk about it in, in, in various ways. And, and we are really kind of going through a renaissance at the moment, which is just a, an awful lot of fun, too. Yeah, you really, you really are. The past five years in particular have been tremendous change and a lot more awareness around HABA and what you guys are up to. And part of that awareness is now November 8th has been declared International Human Animal Bond Day. Now, you are active in that. So tell us a little bit about how that came about and what it means. Yeah, so this was an idea that came up, oh gosh, a few months, maybe about six months ago or so, and um, all of us were surprised it didn't exist and thought, gosh, but this needs to happen. Uh, and so we were able to uh, uh, partner with a group called the Society uh, for Companion Animal Studies in uh, the United Kingdom, and so it truly is international, uh, and uh, developed this. And the idea um, initially really, and still is, to, to celebrate the bond, to bring the bond up and, and bring uh, increase awareness. Um, but also this, I think, is an opportunity like we're doing now to, for people to begin to speak a little bit. I like the idea of speaking personally about the human-animal bond because truly the bond is something di different to every single person. And to be able to think about that and maybe even verbalize that on a special day and, and really uh, put, a, put a spotlight on it and whatever it means to you, it, it was needed. And, uh, and I'm really happy that we did it. Yeah, and one of the things, too, Patrick, that just bears repeating is this is truly an international effort. I mean, you have a group in the U.K. that you're working with, the Society for Companion Animal Studies, as you mentioned, and you're also going to be launching something called the Human Animal Bond Academy, which I'm very excited about personally, but maybe tell the viewfinders a little bit about that. Yeah, so that's to come, That hopefully in the next, I don't know, few weeks to a month or so. This is a, a group of people, uh, we right now have about eight modules that are about 50 minutes apiece, uh, ranging on all different very important topics, I, I think, uh, ranging from homeless pet owners. What about the lost population within a lost population of homeless people, people who have pets? So even me, I, I, I learned so much as we went through. I thought, gosh, I, I, my, some of my thoughts about homeless people were way off. Um, why are dogs special? Clive Wynn, who's you know written a whole yeah. bunch of books and is a really famous guy, he did an hour for us on why dogs are special. Uh, even some some corners, that, you know, fun stuff uh, like um, uh, uh, consent. We don't really talk about canine and feline consent very often. Yes signals and no signals and right. behavior. And Steve Dale did something for us on on kitty behavior and even the connections of domestic abuse and how that relates to animal abuse. So a really wonderful cornucopia of discussion. And the idea is this will be a learning tree. This will be, we, we have what we have established now, and you can kind of uh, get a, a certification or a certificate uh, for that block. But I'm going to continue to uh, to have that grow. And over time, over the next few years, hopefully I'll have more people come and contribute more content. Yeah, and I got to tell you, viewfinders, I am super excited because, you know, uh, when we started the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention way back in 2005, I mean, that was one of our basic tenets. We said, we need to raise awareness. And how do we do that? We started National Pet Obesity Awareness Day. And so, uh, Patrick, I can tell you firsthand, you you know the traction that you can get. So it's super important. And congratulations for getting this done. Uh, any kind of, uh, did you go through any process or just sort of, you know, like at the association, we've kind of done a couple of different things with different states and whatever. But did you guys have to, you know, did you get a governor to declare it or anything? Like that. <laughs> <laughs> not, yet. not yet. Wait, next year. Next year we'll yes. do a big deal. I, I think we, this bulk of this year was just going through the process, paying the money, going through the whole spiel of actually getting the 
official certification so that we could say these words. Um, but yeah, I think next year we should we swing to the fences. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, listen, let's let's turn our attention now to this whole discussion around the human animal bond. And you know, viewfinders, you guys know, you know, I've been vegan for my entire adult life, and animal welfare, especially farmed animal welfare, is something that I'm passionate about and very involved with. As many of you know and have participated, we have the Veterinarians Against Ventilation Shutdown going on, in which we're trying to stop that form you know, of, of depopulation, if you will. And, and, you know, Patrick, one of the things I think that, that comes up immediately, at least in my world of animal welfare, when we talk about human animal bonds, sometimes the critics come out and they say, well, wait a second, are you talking about all animals? Or are you just talking about like companion animals? Because, you know, there's a difference. Now I believe that HABA encompasses all species, but maybe speak to that because, you know, right now, so far the modules you just mentioned, we're all companion animal, but where do, where does the rest of the animal kingdom fit in? You're right. You're right. You know, that's, of course, that's the cornerstone of, of what everyone thinks of what the human animal bond is, right or wrong. And that's that's the easiest place to start, even in discuss, more difficult discussions, I think, about welfare and, and veganism and all those uh, those issues are, um, are are challenging. But I, I think starting with what we know is a good place to start. But, yeah, my goal and I, and I think the board is completely on board with this is that we are we are not uh, as, as other groups are you know specific to pets right I think that's been done and it's been done to death and we and we get it and and, and I'm not, not moving away from that it's a really important part of all of our, our lives but the frustrating thing is I think when you really went go through it and think about it I had the opportunity to go back and do a master's degree in anthrozoology right. and one of the first things that we really tackled was why you know, why do we think so differently about different types of animals? Um, why do we absolutely, you know, the animals that we prefer as humans are the ones who, for the most part, not always, but do pretty well, and others are, are really not. And it's really has nothing to do with anything except for what we made up. And so I would like to gently inter introduce that conversation as it was introduced to me, uh, not in a, you know, here's a horrible picture of some poor animal. No, let, let, let's just talk. Let's just, what, does this really make sense? And, and I think one of the bigger um, things that hit me was really talking about cognition and understanding and how these little ones are put together so similar to, to us. And then, um, and then really thinking through that. And I would love to be part of that for uh, particularly a lot of veterinarians or animal caretakers who maybe just honestly haven't thought about it. Well, Patrick, I will once again extend my full cooperation and volunteer, <laughs> just like I did to Laird. <laughs> Didn't go anywhere, but I think it's something, you know, uh, and, and one of the things you mentioned too, uh, you know, Patrick was reminding me of Hal Herzog's book, you know, that uh, some we love, some we hate, some we eat, <laughs> which talked about the, you know, the the challenges that we face. But but again, I don't want to talk, spend all our time talking about that. But, you know, one of the things I think that, you know, I want to press our profession to do is to understand that we're not just a little silo, that we don't have a very narrow lane, right? I am a companion animal veterinarian. That's where my expertise lies. Holy. Yet I have animal welfare interests, right? And so because of my training and experience and expertise as a veterinarian, I think that then suffering and pain and all that, you know, kind of they're translational. So I think it's, I think it's important for us to make sure that we are stewards of animal welfare. I mean, we took an oath to prevent animal suffering, right? So, you know, so, and I think that's, is that's kind of the root of this thing. It's like, exploring the bond, right? So, so let's get into that. Like, you know, when you guys are out there saying, what do we want to raise awareness about? Explain how you make those decisions and what really you're, you're as president elect now, you know, what are, what are your initiatives? Like when we look at the human animal bond, what does that mean? And what do you hope to accomplish? 
Well, again, I think it's wonderful and frustrating that the bond is sometimes something very different, even in our conversation here, different for some people than it is for others. And that is to be embraced and also challenged. Um, So you need to think about, okay, well, yeah, here's your little world. You got that. Awesome. But look over here. All of this crazy stuff. And you might not, this might give you an absolute rash to even think about, but you should (laughs) still think about. (laughs) Right, right. You know, and so for our our real staple, and when we did a survey a couple of years ago of, of membership, and what they really asked for was was pleas for more really high quality education, not not just another kind of survey study or something that just says you know if you get a golden retriever puppy you'll never get cavities or something like that. They they really wanted something a little bit um, useful and, and deeper, which is a challenge. But I think that's really my vision going forward for the next couple of years is what can I do to help. Not just, again, not just veterinarians, but uh, animal caretakers of all kinds, whether that's what you do professionally or not, um, to understand that this is it's bigger than pets. Pets are a great representation of it, no doubt. But we have a direct connection and a need to be part of this. And in fact, uh, you know, again, this is one people feel differently about, but we are animals. We scientifically, right, right. We, we are all animals. So we are part of all the, the same family. And I think that's such a wonderful word to use. We belong to a big, giant animal family. And we need to be okay with that. It's not a pyramid. It's, it's okay. It, we we all, all have our, our own wonderful things that we bring to the table. And when you start to think like that, really everything changes. And really things change for the better. And it allows you to start to really kind of think uh, in a much more open and, and wonderful way. Well, that the, that just warms my heart, Patrick, because that is exactly the attitude that that I think we need more of in the world, you know. And and so I'll tell you, just my own personal, probably, yeah. And and uh, Dr. Flynn and I are very similar age, you know. Uh, he graduated a couple of years after I did, and so we we kind of watched the emergence of the quote unquote human animal bond, right? And for us, it was, I would say solely defined as dog, cat, human, maybe horses were thrown in there as well. Right. And maybe a couple of birds and pocket bets. But, you know, for us, our our generation, that was all we thought about. And I would say it's probably continued that way. When when this first started being proposed to me as a student, I, I, I saw it differently, I kind of like the way you're describing it, Patrick. I saw it as how do we relate to the the world around us, right? And since we're stewards of animals and animal health and suffering, you know, then that was how I, I viewed it. And then I got really confused because it suddenly turned into, you know, hey, if you pet a dog, your blood pressure lowers. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> okay, I got that part. But, you know, how does that relate to the world? Uh, you know, Patrick, are you seeing an acceleration in interest around the broader definition of human-animal bond w- with all the climate change, you know, evidence that's coming out? Yeah, I think I think so. I think that's part of what's driving it. Again, uh, not to to pick on or highlight uh, millennials, but I think they really are the fuel for a lot of this. Again, almost well, probably eighty percent of my class in the anthropology class were millennials, and it was right. wonderful to spend time with them after hours and just kick this kind of stuff around forever. Um, so they, they really, it's very clear and high in their brain. People our age and older, it's, it's intermittent. I think they, they think they do resonate with it when they hear it, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem to have come with them out of the box. And I think it's just our experiences, right? I mean, we didn't grow up in a world where the, the climate was warming, you know, it had dangerous rates, you know, I mean, for us, we were still like hiding under desks because the Russians were going to bomb us. Right. I mean, and we're not joking, viewfinders. That's actually, you know, if Patrick's like me, we actually had those drills where they told us exactly what was going to happen for radiation poisoning, which sounds outlandish now. But, you know, 30 years into the future, we may look at some of the practices and the way we interact with, with animals around us as the same kind of outrage. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I can guarantee that. I think as silly as 
the fact that we thought a desk would protect us from radiation, uh, it's also silly to think that, uh, you know, Shamu is happy in that little you know, right. toilet bowl of, of water. Right, right. And I appreciate you saying that, too, because that, that is true. Um, and if you haven't watched the documentary uh, Blackfish, obviously, that's what Patrick is referring to. It, it's actually it'll move you. Uh, and we could say the same for a whole list of, of documentaries, I think, that would move you. But but getting back to the Human Animal Bond Association, um, also part of it, as you mentioned, is to do research. And so tell us some of the things, the initiatives, you know, the, the because I agree, you know, I'm as a veterinarians, we kind of want to know what the science tells us. So what are some of the ways that you're promoting science and research? in this area yeah so I think you know we actually did do a, we did a publish a, a paper last year that's not really our main uh, thrust because there's an awful lot involved with that and a lot of uh, time and an awful lot of money and uh, others are hardcore into that but we did we did work with Canisius College up in Buffalo and Zoetis and got an interesting paper on on some of the relationships that people were experiencing with their pets during the uh, pandemic, uh, particularly during quarantine. And um, that was a lot of fun to be part of. But I think for me, there's so much, I guess, again, that was an eye opener for me. There's just so much data out there uh, of all kinds uh, on, on everything related to our connection with animals. It, it's like that school, even if you just focus on cats, there's or dogs, enormous amount of stuff. Um, and I feel in my job as a translator, uh, you know, for Zoetas, I always kind of feel that in my heart. And I think I could be now with my experiences uh, with a master's degree and a DVM, I'd love to be the one to be able to, to help everybody in the Human Animal Bond Association to begin to translate some of what's being done in the scientific community to others so that they can use that information immediately uh, in some way, whether it's, uh, you know, and I, I've had veterinarian snicker at me, but I think there is something to being able to speak about, I don't know, bees or how fantastically amazing bats are. And if you speak to something like that very briefly in the exam room, you get some insto credibility. Yeah. Um, the fact is they think we know this stuff anyway, but there, there is some benefit to having this information, but to anybody uh, to, to be able to speak to some of these topics a little bit more clearly and understand them better. I think that could be a big part of what we're, what we're going to do in the future. You know, and Patrick, I'm really glad you said that. And, and I want to re just remind the viewfinders, you know, as veterinary professionals, whether you're a veterinarian, vet tech, whatever you do in the vet world, the public in general views us as experts on all things animal. And I think that we sometimes limit ourselves, you know, and, and rightfully so, because I have no business doing, you know, any type of horse surgery. I'm <laughs> just for the record. OK, I'll pull a Coggins test, but that's where my my expertise stops. But, you know, but but getting back to that, you know, the the if the world views us as as being those experts. And so, you know, I do think that we have this responsibility to speak to the to the broader world because, you know, honestly, at the end of the day, who's left, uh, you know, and, and we, we're that's our job. So so this is when I talk about the human animal bond. It's always just so refreshing to hear people say, look, you know, I get it. We're beyond, you know, just the species that maybe we treat primarily. We actually understand and, you know, really want to help all animals. Now, let's talk about, uh, you know, one of the other issues that, that we get into a lot in the animal welfare world is the fact the difference between industrialized nations versus non, right? So third world versus first world, if you want to use that parlance. Um, and so, so Patrick, what can we do to help sort of, you know, countries like Brazil, for example, that are, are you know, just emerging, the pet population there is exploding. You know, it's, it's amazing what's happening in Brazil. You know, Spain continues to just thrive and Peru is on fire. I mean, it's amazing. Not literally, but figuratively when it comes to animals. Um, yeah. But you know what I'm saying, Patrick, how can we how can we reach those people? Because I think that's part of the the reasoning behind the international, right? 
Yeah, definitely a challenge. And again, this is uh, we're we're building the bridge as we're walking on it here, and uh, one brick at a time. But I, I think that that is where we can really engage. Um, People, you know, internationally, truly. And again, it sounds silly, but awareness actually is pretty powerful. And yeah. the more that we can just talk about this stuff and have more and more people cock their heads and go, oh, uh, in, in various different countries, they've already got interests from New Zealand and, and other places for the, the International Day here. And, that, and that's just, I mean, we just talk, been talking about this for a few days. So I think just making some noise, um, and then unfortunately from major change obviously has to come from big, much bigger mechanisms, but that so often comes from grassroots awareness, which I don't know really completely exists all the time, um, you know, in, in everywhere. And then it's, you know, talking about complexity, it's things are even more aggravated maybe or uh, made more complex by geographies and right. by social beliefs and religious right. traditions and all sorts of things how you grew up which how your father felt about animals and all you got to slog through all of that as well so it's not uh, deep enough and complex enough to give up on but it's certainly something you need to know is going to be a big deal uh, going in yeah and i think that's one of the huge you know advantages of, of having an organization devoted and directing its efforts at raising this awareness. And again, Patrick, you know, I'm with you. I don't like uh, the Association of Pet Obesity Prevention. We never wanted to get involved with primary research other than prevalence, which was our kind of our jam. Um, and, and we do a good job with that. But we knew that if we could concentrate our efforts and have those conversations, that would extend out into the research field. And, you know, if you kind of track like the number of obesity papers that came online, you know, from 2005 to 2021, <laughs> you're going to see a very steep inflection point. And I think you're going to see the same thing, especially with this sort of renaissance of HABA that you refer to. And, and could you speak a little bit about that? Like, like what initiated the change within the organization? Because look, I've been aware of HABA for a long time. And honestly, it just seemed kind of dormant for a long time. What brought about this, this renewed, you know, energy? Well, some new people, you know, I came in a, a couple of years, two or three years ago, and um, I think Laird was a big part of it. He was, I, I am one to come up constantly with crazy weirdo ideas, and he let me uh, kind of roll with some of them. And, uh, you know, we just decided kind of enough is enough. We really, we struggled for a while trying to define what we wanted to do and who we were, and really kind of just it was sitting right in front of us the whole time. I mean, there's a really, there's a really not even a niche, a big chunk of space there for animal caretakers to learn about this at all different levels and not just one way for all of us to participate. And for me, I can tell you a quick story and, I, and I'm going to drop a huge name here. So yeah. buckle up. Uh, <laughs> um, I, through my Canisius College connections and a friend, I was able to not only meet uh, Jane Goodall, but spend some time with her. Wow, yeah. And um, more than once, actually. But the first time I did, it, you know, it's just magical. And, um, I, you know, to be able to talk with her for about 10 minutes. And um, one of the things I said is, I, you are just a master storyteller. To me, it seems, and being an Irish storyteller myself, stories are so important. And she said, that's it. That's, you don't lock horns with people. You don't force your opinion. You, you melt them with stories. And, um, and I said, I, my goal is to really try and get a lot of what you speak about and how you speak about it into my world. And she took my hand and looked me in the eye and said, I know you will. 
And I was like, well, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> You've been directed and, uh, by Jane Goodall. There you go. <laughs> for the love of God. So uh, really, I feel that every day. And, and I was surprised when I walked away how important it was to me. And I think that's been, and not that I've been the, the full, sole reason behind the Renaissance, but uh, that has been uh, a big fuel. And it's the reason why I can stay up at midnight and continue to type away on some of this stuff. And I think it's infectious. And now we have a wonderful team of people from industry and from practice and from school uh, who are really all uh, rowing in the right direction. Yeah, and I, I got to tell you, that's a great story and what an amazing inspiration. I mean, of course, Jane Goodall is, has probably touched most of us in the in the animal world, certainly in the veterinary world, uh, for sure. And, and, and one of the things, too, about your story that just highlights, once again, the importance of broadening the definition, because, you know, Patrick, I do think the term got hijacked by companion animal for really for our own needs. <laughs> <laughs> and and to our and to our own advantage. I mean, there's some very popular people that kind of made this uh, uh, dog and cat and a horse thing. Uh, and and I think that it would be great. You know, my challenge to you, and I, again, I issued <laughs> a challenge to Laird as well, would be to try to to redefine that to capture. You know, what you're really the essence. And if it is, you know, look, hey man, I'm a, I'm I believe in democracy. And if the the group says, hey, we really want to focus on companion animals, then fine, own it, be it, do it. Uh, but if you know, if it's going to be a broader and say how we interact with the animal kingdom. A, I think that's going to be much more appealing to a wider variety of people. And B, I think it's really going to resonate, as you mentioned, with the millennial and the Gen Zs, which is kind of the, the future and, and our salvation. So I, I, for me, you know, I, I like the... I, since I was a student, human-animal bond meant humans with all the animals. How do we <laughs> relate and bond? And it, it sort of got twisted around a little bit, uh, you know, maybe during the 80s uh, and early 90s. And I think now it's time for, for us to, to reclaim that. That's just my own personal opinion. So you can... You I'm, I'm with you. I, one, of the, one of the bylines we're, we're kicking around at the moment is amplifying the voices of all creatures. Like and, it. Uh, yeah. yeah. And everyone seems to. So um, I think that and I, I, I think that's a really beautiful way to put it we may we may tweak it a little bit but I, I like that as kind of a touchstone and that's a place we can move from uh in in all different directions all right so patrick here as we wrap up today's conversation so i'm a vet clinic and i i want to get behind this where do they go what do they do how can they get involved well at the moment it's pretty easy because there's I, I you'll find that what we're doing uh at least in, as an online presence is to uh to do it kind of as a challenge and so uh, on the 8th, um, anybody, I can send this to you. Anybody who'd like, I can, I can send as well. There's, uh, the, what we're going to try and do is just have a, a LinkedIn presence, although it would work in Facebook and anywhere else where literally you just, you just post a, a paragraph or a video or something about a personal feeling as what the human animal bond means to you and then challenge somebody else to do the same. Um, right now, that's the extent of activity that we have, although there are other groups that are moving along pretty quickly. So we'll see right, right. by the end of the week. But right now, uh, I would I would visit our website, which is humananimalbond.net and uh, swim around a little bit in there. And uh, if you'd like to be part of this or help at all, I would really love to hear from you. Um, but that's really where I would start and then look for or start something with your uh, network on uh, this, this important discussion. Yeah. And again, it's humananimalbond.net uh, and you can go and join and sign up. And like you said, there's tons of resources on there. And again, Patrick, you know, one of the things I just want to say from the bottom of my heart is thank you again. This, you know, viewfinders, I think sometimes when we see kind of volunteer organizations, you think ah, it's probably not a big hassle. 
This requires a tremendous amount of effort, work, energy, you know, imagination, creativity, and grit. And so, Patrick, you know, you and Laird and others, I mean, gosh, it's a long list of thank yous over there. But, but I, but I want to thank you personally just for, for all your hard work because you're, you are making a difference. That makes my day. That is fantastic to hear. I appreciate that so much. Well, um, and again, if you want to be part of that last plug, it's, it's only $50 to become a member. And uh, I think that's the sweetest deal in the human animal bond world. So <laughs> right, I like that. So November 8th, International Human Animal Bond Day. Let's celebrate it, guys. Let's go check out the humananimalbond.net website, figure out how to sign up and get on it and share on LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever. Share your story of what the human animal bond means to you. And again, challenge someone else to do that or at least ask for participation, I guess. I don't I don't like the word challenge, Patrick, but hey, I'm, I'm a yeah, Gen Xer, man. <laughs> We're conflict averse, you know. Oh, that's our whole profession. I forgot. So true. <laughs> well, listen, it has been a real pleasure talking to the Dr. Patrick Flynn today, president-elect of the Human Animal Bond Association. Uh, again, just a, just a breath of fresh air. And Patrick, again, my offer to help in any way, shape, or form, because I think you've got tremendous opportunity here to really broaden the definition, expand your reach, and make more change in the world. So anything I can do to help, but thank you, thank you, thank you. Awesome. Thank you. You'll be hearing from me. All right. Well, Viewfinders, what do you think about Human Animal Bond Day, November 8th? How are you going to celebrate it? What stories can you share? Share with us on our social media. You can find us on everywhere, LinkedIn. You can find me at Dr. Ernie Ward and Becky Mosser RVT. We're over on LinkedIn. And of course, on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, Instagram, Veterinary Viewfinder, and on Twitter, which you know I'm out there still, at Vet Viewfinder. Definitely check out Human Animal Bond dot net. I think I got that right. Yes. Humananimalbond.net. Uh, check out their website. Again, Patrick Flynn, DVM. He is amazing and definitely check out his story as well. Well, Viewfinders, next week, Becky will be back with us. She will probably be regaling us with tales of rescuing animals in severe need for the ASPCA. So again, until next week, it's been my pleasure and honor. We will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.